Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, good Wednesday evening, and uh, we are thankful to God for this opportunity to meet with you and to share his word. Uh, Welcome to A a Sound Heart. Uh, This podcast has been around for a while now, and uh, God has used it uh, to bless believers around the world, and for that I am indeed thankful. And I pray that God will continue to use this ministry according to his will and that uh, you as auditors, as listeners, will be blessed. And please share your blessing with others and invite others to listen to the podcast as well. Uh, Tonight's show, uh, as you can see, is entitled, Does the Prophet Zechariah Predict a Nuclear War? And so we're going to discuss this very important uh, scripture tonight. And I pray that as we uh, delve into this topic, that uh, the Holy Spirit will bless you with enlightenment and and also comfort. Uh, May you be comforted by the word of God. Uh, Because uh, we live in evil days. Um, And so we have to be uh, spiritually alert. We have to be vigilant uh, with regard to the word. It is important that we not only hear the word, uh, but that we are doers of the word, uh, as James writes, be doers of the words and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So please understand that when we do not study the word of God, the devil has his way to take advantage of that Uh, culpable negligence, and uh, we are culpable uh, for the Word of God uh, because we have it in our possession. And uh, so we are to put into practice, thus saith the Lord. So uh, I want to begin this this night's study uh, by reading a, a piece from George Orwell's Uh, George Orwell's 1984. And tell me, uh, well, these words may sound familiar to you. So this is, uh, I'm reading from chapter one, page four. Quote, the ministry of truth, many true in you speak, was startlingly, startlingly different from any other object in sight. It was an enormous, pyramidal structure of glittering white concrete soaring up terrace after terrace 300 meters into the air. From where Winston stood, it was just possible to read, picked out of its white face and elegant lettering, the three slogans of the party. 
War is peace. Freedom is slavery. Ignorance is strength. The Ministry of Truth contained, it was said, 3,000 rooms above ground level and corresponding ramifications below. Scattered about London, there were just three other buildings of similar appearance and size. So completely did they dwarf the surrounding architecture that from the roof of Victory Mansions, you could see all four of them simultaneously. They were the homes of the four ministries between which the entire apparatus of government was divided. The Ministry of Truth, which concerned itself with news, entertainment, education, and fine arts. The Ministry of Peace, which concerned itself with war. The Ministry of Love, which maintained law and order. And the Ministry of Plenty, which was responsible for economic affairs. The Ministry of Love was the really frightening one. There were no windows in it at all. Winston had never been inside the Ministry of Love, nor within half a kilometer of it. It was a place impossible to enter except on official business, and then only by penetrating through a maze of bobbed wire entanglements, steel doors, and hidden machine gun nests. Even the streets leading up to its outer barriers were roamed by gorilla-faced guards in black uniforms armed with jointed truncheons, unquote. And then there's one more uh, quote that I have from this book. Quote, the party told you to reject the evidence of your eyes and ears. It was their final, most essential command, unquote. So Winston Smith uh, toes the party line, rewriting history to satisfy the demands of the Ministry of Truth. That's his job, to rewrite history. Each lie he writes, Winston grows to hate the party that seeks power for his own sake and persecutes those who dare to commit thought crimes. But as he starts to think for himself, Winston can't escape the fact that Big Brother is always watching, unquote. Sound familiar? Most of it should. Now, note the piece where in he talks about thought crimes. There was an old movie starring Tom Cruise called Minority Report, and they had developed a technology that would forecast to this particular police unit uh, potential thought crimes. And they would execute uh, uh, these people. They, that, that is, they would execute warrants against these people for, for their thought crimes. And they would be prosecuted because these people had the technology to tell them 
on what date, what time, what moment a particular crime would be carried out. Thought crime. Today, uh, this technology exists through artificial intelligence. So these people have not only uh, cracked the human genome, and they have also cracked uh, consciousness and self-awareness. And uh, these technologies uh, have come about uh, through various uh, huge companies in order to exploit humankind. And uh, I want you to know that the Bible predicted the rise of this type of technology. Uh, Daniel wrote that in the last days, <coughs> excuse me, knowledge would be increased. Paul writes at the end of Romans 1 of, uh, of, of the people of Rome, of, of, the, of Roman power that, and its citizens and its intellectuals, Paul wrote, they invented evil things. So there is this common theme, this recurring theme, uh, this standing theme uh, about Gentile world power and what it seeks and uh, to do and will do up to a certain point. Now, before we get to Zechariah, in Revelation chapter 12, uh, I'm going to begin at verse 1, and it reads, and, I, and John wrote, And I stood up upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea. And so the beast is therion. Uh, it means wild beast, a wild beast, not just a beast. And having seven heads, uh, which means the completion of authority. Seven is the number of completion. So complete authority. And ten horns. And the horns represent power. And upon his uh, horns, ten crowns. So that is regal, the, uh, a regal prerogative. And upon his head, the name of blasphemy. And that should be the character of Blasphemy, that is complete blasphemy. And the beast, which I saw, was like unto a leopard, that is, he was swift and stealthy, and his feet were as the feet of bear, and so this bespeaks his strength, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion, that is, one who roars uh, in order to make people wither before his roaring. And the dragon, and this is another uh, title of the devil, that is, and the word means the sharp-seeing one, gave him his power, gave him his power and his seat. I want you to know that at the temptation of Christ, we, we call it the temptation of Christ, um, the devil offered Jesus his power, his authority. 
And the devil said, this was given to me. Uh, this was allowed, uh, given over to me by God. And he offered this to Jesus. And Jesus, uh, as you all know, did not accept the devil's blasphemous offer. So, and his feet and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, uh, and his deadly wound was healed. Her word here is therapeuo. And all the world wondered after the beast. That means uh, they admired him. Now, remember, in the Revelation, we have the, the book of Revelation, have the revelation of the unholy trinity. And so here the, uh, we have a, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus is mimicked. Uh, and they, uh, they, they admired the beast, the wild beast, and they worshipped the dragon. Notice in verse 2, the dragon gave his power to the beast. And here we read in verse 4, they worshipped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. And they worshipped the beast. So look at what's going on here. Who is likened to the beast? And who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. You're gonna, the refrain is always going to be about blasphemy, to rail against, uh, to besmirch, to stand against. Uh, the life uh, or the character of God. This is a, this is a very uh, this is a terrible word uh, in in the Old Testament. It, it literally means to stand against the life of another. And power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. And he opened his mouth. And notice this this uh, the statements about uh, verse five that was given unto him a mouth. To speak great things and blasphemy, and he opened his mouth and may notice against God. You notice very carefully in Genesis three, conversation about God was what it was. It was a conversation of blasphemy. To blas and, and he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God and to blaspheme his name, that is his essential character and essence. This is the severity of what uh, what is going on in uh, during this time, uh, because this is this is the tribulation that I'm talking about, and I need you to lean into hearing what God says this period uh, will entail. Because when I get uh, to Zechariah 14, uh, I'm going to be making a reference to Psalm 2, which states that the, uh, that the Messiah is going to rule with a rod of iron. Well, what does that mean? Zechariah 14, we're going to find out exactly what that means. So he opened his mouth and blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name in this tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. So it includes us too. And it was given unto him, and notice, 
that was given. Uh, verse 5 and verse 7, that was given unto him to make war with the saints. In the book of Daniel, we read that he will, uh, the, this is the Antichrist, okay? He will wear out the saints. He will wear them out. These are the saints of the tribulation period. These are the saints who respond to the everlasting gospel message that will be uh, preached during this period, the everlasting gospel or the eternal gospel that will be proclaimed during this deadly, horrific, unimaginably horrible period. Okay, so so he was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. This is uh, this is going to be very tragic because this uh, during this dark time, uh, and because of AI, and because of the uh, there there will be people betrayers will be everywhere. They have the technology to know what goes on. Remember, uh, they they track you through your so-called cell phone. They track us. Uh, through our cars. They track us. They know wherever we go. They know everything we do. They have that technology in place already. Okay? And so uh, they will overcome the saints. And power, he will overcome the saints. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. So what we have here is a quasi super transnational neo-socialist monolithic government that is a world government held together by what? By, uh, by the power of the dragon, by his persuasiveness. Verse 5, and there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemy. And he will receive worship, which is illegal uh, for the creature to do. Only God uh, can receive worship. Only God is worthy of worship. But uh, the world is ruled by uh, idolatry of all types. The idolatry of the self, which is what the devil exploits, is the highest idolatry. Idolatry of self, and from that flows all the the sins that are a part of this this evil mischief, this trick uh, that the person is involved in against himself. It is the ultimate uh, self-destructive lie. And all that dwell on the earth shall worship him. I want you to see what is going on. Because we uh, believers have been taught that, well, when Jesus comes back at the, and there is be the great battle at Armageddon or, or the Valley of Megiddo, yes. And the armies, this multinational uh, force will come against him in order to stop him. Think about that. 
How do they know this? And how do they prepare for this, these, these armies? And think about the technology, the hybrid humans. Think about the genetic monsters. Think about the, uh, the robots, the soldier robots, both animal-looking uh, and human-looking robots. Uh, and think about the super soldiers that will go against Jesus at the Valley of Armageddon. Think about the crafts. Think about uh, the, the weapons that, that they have developed uh, in order to stop him from coming. Why do they gather here? Well, because God has led them here. God has led them to assemble here in this valley uh, for this campaign. And the divine warrior has no fear uh, of, of this force. It is impressive from human viewpoint thinking. If you're limited to human viewpoint thinking, then this is impressive. And who can make war? That is, who is likened to the beast? Who is able to make war with him? This is the end of verse 4. Who is able to make war with the beast? And you see the mentality and the, the, the people, kind of people who believe this. What are the kind of people who believe this? People uh, who, in verse 3, wonder that the beast, they admired him, and they worshiped the dragon and the beast. These are the type of people who uh, who say who can make war against the beast? They are the incurable ones. Some things in the Bible I don't talk about uh, as often as I should. But you, when I read Genesis about Sodom and Gomorrah, we read about the the Enosh, the men of Sodom, uh, it, and it means literally the incurable ones. There were the the incurable ones existed. Before the antediluvian flood, God destroyed that world because of the incurable one. And I'm just giving you uh, uh, the translation as to the the way it should be, the incurable one. You know, in this context, think about John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Think about that. For whom did Christ die? The Bible says for the sins of the whole world. You mean for those, he died for those whom uh, he knew would reject him? He died for the sins of all mankind. He died for all. Uh, divine judgment, divine judgment was slammed down upon the person of Jesus for all. The Bible writes, whosoever will may come. The Bible has a whosoever will gospel. Now, there are some who teach a, a, a perverted theology of election. And in their theology and in their arrogance, they teach well, Jesus only died for the elect. 
he did not die for the whole world. Or they pervert, they, they, they lay their perversion upon the scripture and say, oh, he's only here referring to the elect. And that's not what Paul taught. That's not what John taught. That's not what James taught, Jew taught. That is not taught in the New Testament. It is not taught by the prophets. It's not taught by the speaking prophets or the writing prophets in the Old Testament. So, and all, verse 8, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written. And that word is in the perfect indicative passage, that word, uh, and whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain. Again, this, this word slain is in perfect tense. Slain from the foundation of the world. So who worships the beast? Who receives the mark of the beast? Those whose names are what? Not written in the Lamb's book of life. They are the determined enemies of Jesus, both small and great. They are the determined enemies of the Son of God. So in Revelation 19, we read these words in verse beginning of verse 11. And I saw heaven open. Again, this was in the perfect tense. And behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness doth he judge and make war. Jesus is making, will make war against this world. It does not end at Armageddon. He soundly, roundly, completely defeats the enemy at Armageddon. The valley of Megiddo becomes a valley filled with blood of the enemies of the Lord who dared uh, in their madness, in the hubris of their madness, in the insanity of their madness, God. His eyes were as a flame of fire. Read Revelation 1. And on his head were many crowns, diademata. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. Notice what happens in the Valley of Megiddo. Notice that Jesus, in his first advent, he came as the Lamb of God. He was uh, dumb. That is, he did not open his mouth before his accusers. But he kept silent because he knew what was in man. And therefore, we read that he did not trust himself to man because he knew 
what was in man. He knew in essence. But his second advent, he is coming back as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is coming back as a divine warrior. He has a vesture dipped in blood called the word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. We will come back with him. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nation. That is, he will destroy Gentile world power. He will bring it to an end. Notice the, uh, the strength and the power of the Antichrist and what was delivered unto him uh, and the tremendous yoke and burden that he placed upon people. Uh, commerce, one cannot buy or sell with us. The mark, the name, the number. That's the economic system. That is full control. That is slavery, human slavery. Let me, look, 1984, war is peace, freedom is slavery, ignorance is strength. That's the word what people believe today. I am in awe every day. And they walk around in, uh, in they are they sleepwalk around, and in their podcasts, in their so-called news, the Ministry of Truth just tells them what to believe, and they believe this stuff. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. Then there's the colon, and he shall rule them, whom? The nations with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he had on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. The Antichrist, the dragon, the great wild therion, the beast, cannot match the glory, the effulgence, that is the outflowing of the glory of the presence of God. Listen, uh, when Jesus appears in his glory, we read that the, something is going to happen to the, uh, the Antichrist when Jesus appears. So uh, this is Second Thessalonians 1, verse 7. Paul writes, and to you who are troubled, rest with us. Rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, and flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God. Now listen to me. Listen very carefully to this language. 
to them that know not God. This, they are culpable for uh, their atheism. They are culpable for the rejection of the gospel. The gospel presents a demand to believe. Now, if I say receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, that communicates another message. That is not what the Bible says. The Bible never says receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. That's not the language from the Scripture. The word from the Scripture is believe in the imperative, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, upon the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Believe. Believe. Never does the Bible say, receive Jesus as your personal Savior. It is a command stated in the imperative. God is not a liar. He demands belief because of the integrity of his eternal character. God cannot lie. God is light. In him is absolutely no darkness at all. So he goes on. Rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction. That word should be ruined, a ruin from the presence of the Lord and from the glory power. So, look, uh, God does not lose. This is Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 2. Uh, verse 8, uh, verse 7, I'm going to start there, verse 7. For the mystery of iniquity, that is, it should literally the secret purpose of lawlessness. See, this is going on. See, these, these DAs across the United States that have been put in different communities uh, to facilitate lawlessness, they were seeded. They were seeded into communities at the local level. These corrupt uh, school councils, were seated in, in the communities and on the local level. These libraries that let these, uh, these uh, drag queen freaks come in and read stories to their children, notice, notice how, well, this is only story time, but you're in your attire, you're in your, your dress. Some have even exposed themselves, and some, I mean, but they're pushing their poison into the lives of these children. Listen, they have never read what Jesus said, and they laugh, and they're haughty, and they're giggly, and they're arrogant about who and what they are. If you ever go to one of those gay parades in San Francisco, you're going to be horrified by what you see. No amount of bleach can cleanse your eyes or your mind or your heart from watching that erotic demonstration of demonic behavior. For the mystery of 
iniquities already were. Only he who now restrains will restrain until he be taken out of the way. And then that wicked one that be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth. Remember our revelation. And shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. So we have the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have his parousia, his coming. And then in verse 9, uh, Paul writes about the parousia or the coming of the Antichrist, who is going to be destroyed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, God is going to impose upon the Christ-rejecting world this condemnation, verse 11, because they receive not uh, the love of the truth they, that they might be saved. For this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie that they might all that they might all be damned who believe not the truth but have pleasure, goodwill, uh, to think something good. You see the the, the delusion uh, who have pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, so when the Lord Jesus comes back and he destroys the army in the valley of Megiddo, he assumes uh, uh, the Gentile world power is broken. We read, verse 1, a day, a day of the Lord is coming when your plunder will be divided among you. Verse 2, I will gather all the nations to Jerusalem to fight against it. Notice, this is God. The city will be captured, the houses ransacked, and the women raped. Half of the city will go into exile, but the rest of the city, the rest of the people will not be taken from the city. Then, verse 3, then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley with half of the mountain moving north and half moving south. You will flee by my mountain valley, for it will extend to Hazel. Now notice, uh, we go on. You will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord, my God, will come, and all the holy ones with him. Remember, his mighty angels. So Jerusalem is on a hill. The hills had been used as a defensive force. But now, uh, because God has gone out to fight, he's going to cleave this valley uh, through the Mount of Olives. And the mountains are going to move. You will flee by my mountain valley. And then God, look in verse 6. On that day, there will be no light, no cold or frost. God is moving, has moved into the cosmic system, and God has, is redoing day and night. God is going to bring his own glory. It will be a unique day without daytime or nighttime, a day known to the Lord. When evening comes, there will be light. 
On that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem, half to the eastern sea and half to the western sea, in summer and in winter. The Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day, there will be one Lord and his name, the only name. Now notice that the Antichrist has been defeated. His kingdom has been torn up. Gentile world power has been crushed by Jesus, who is what? God Almighty, the divine warrior. The whole land from Geba to Rimmon, south of Jerusalem, will become like the Araba. But Jerusalem will be raised up and remain in this place from the Benjamin Gate to the site of the first gate to the corner gate and from the tower of Hananiel to the royal wine presses. It will be inhabited. Never again will it be destroyed. Jerusalem will be secure. This is the place with which the Lord will strike all the nations that fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they stand while they are still standing on their feet. Their eyes will rot in their sockets, and their tongues will rot in their mouths. This is the verse that some Bible uh, teachers have said refers to, does it refer to a nuclear war? Does it refer to some kind of fission weapon? Does it refer to some kind of neutron uh, Bomb, and I don't see that by listening by by looking at the context. So God is in control. God is in uh, uh, is in control of this these events. Notice verse twelve. This is the plague with which the Lord will strike all the nations that fought against Jerusalem. Uh, from the context, God is going to directly destroy these uh, these enemies. Remember, Paul wrote that he destroys the Antichrist with the brightness of his coming. And it seems that God is going to use some kind of weapon here other than that, that which is made by man, and God's going to destroy uh, these enemies in an unbelievable fashion. On that day, verse 13, men will be stricken by the Lord with great panic. Each man will seize the hand of another, and they will attack each other. Listen, I read this in the Old Testament. But God made armies slay one another, and God is going to strike these people with a plague in which their flesh will rot while they are standing on their feet, eyes will rot in their sockets. Why fight God? You see, these are the messages that the churches should have been preaching to the people of God, but out of fear. And uh, when we fear man, we cannot serve God. Paul says, Paul wrote in Galatians. If I serve man, I cannot be the servant of God. Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. It is the time to decide whom you're going to serve. Are you going to be on the Lord's side? Or are you going to be on the side of the Antichrist, the world, and the devil? You have to decide. 
The decision is yours. If you decide for Jesus, you can be assured of eternal life. Believe the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. This is the plague with which the Lord will strike all the nations that fought against Jerusalem. God always wins. Good evening. My name is Dr. Josiah Rich, and God bless you.